Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. Our guest today is Rabbi Donny Meisels. Rabbi Donny Meisels is currently a Rebbe in Hillel Academy of Pittsburgh's Boys High School, where he teaches Gemara and Chumash, as well as davening and topics on Jewish philosophy and history. Besides for teaching, he works on marketing material for Hillel Academy and runs Hillel's Youth and Parent Education Program, also known as HYPE, H-Y-P-E. He has a background in fine art and storyboard illustration and experience in sales, having worked in the building industry in Toronto, Canada for almost eight years. Rabbi Meisels, his wife Dory, and their five kids are always looking for ways to help in their community and to pass on their passion for Torah to all other Jews. Donnie and I know each other a long time, and, and we have a lot of catching up to do, but we're going to jump right into it right now. So welcome, Donnie. It's so great to have you here. Um, will you please tell us a bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in Jewish education? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's funny how I got connected to you. I, you know, I heard about your podcast through um, two other uh, friends who have been on the podcast, Rabbi Kronowski and Rabbi Smith, who I work with. Um, and it's really a pleasure to be here to, to reconnect. Um, I'll start. Um, I'll start by by talking about my background briefly, um, and then how it led up to where I am today in Jewish education. Not formally trained in education. Um, I actually my background in terms of a trade is uh, animation and fine art. Uh, I went to school in Toronto to a private school for animation called Max the Mutt, um, small, small school where I learned classical animation and fine art from uh, professionals in the field. Uh, some really amazing, really amazing people. And it was a very different experience than anybody else I knew was doing. I was one of two Jewish people in the whole school. Um, and it was right in the heart of downtown where, like on the West End, where there is nothing Jewish at all. Um, from there, I went on to to do storyboard uh, illustration, work with directors and producers and, and other people on short films and commercials. And then I transitioned into marketing and sales at Olympia Tile, where I sold tile and really learned a lot about business in general. Um, now, when I think about all the different things that I've done, I don't think about them as like, you know, let's say, a waste of time. You know, um, I'm very passionate about what I do now and about teaching kids and other people, anybody about Torah. And um, it might might seem at times maybe that, you know, stuff I've done in the past is totally irrelevant and maybe that was a waste of time. Every Everything, everything, I, I, it's very clear to me, very clear to me and my wife that everything that we've done and gone through has all just been a process leading us to where we are now. And it's all has a lot of relevance. Um, so it was actually after my first year in, in studying animation, when I first finished my first year of college, I went back to, to my yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, Derech Chaim, um, to learn for two months. I had like been totally immersed in this, you know, the art scene, the non-Jewish art scene, which is very, different than sitting in a basement medrash in a yeshiva learning. Um, and I went back to learn for two months in, in Israel. I was very fortunate. 
Um, and I got a great chavrusa in the morning. I was learning with one of my rebbeim. I was helping him prepare for his shir in the afternoon that he gave. And um, one day he didn't he didn't come because he gave me a call. He wasn't feeling well. And he asked if I would cover for him, uh, if I would cover the shir. I would te- I would learn teach the guys in the afternoon for his shir. So I was kind of hesitant, but I said, yeah, he's, he's like, you can do it. Don't worry about it. So I spent that morning preparing. And then in the afternoon, I went to go go teach. Before I did, he called me. Uh, this is one of my Rebbeim, Moshe Rosenberg. He called me, Rosenbaum, and he called me. And he said, um, you know, are you nervous? And I said, you know, yeah, I was nervous about it. You know, going to teach Torah, which is immensely important and um you know, I, at that point, already had a tremendous awe and um, respect towards Torah. So to be giving it over, I I knew the the immense responsibility that was there, and I, it made me very nervous. So he gave me a really great piece of advice, which I still use till today, um, and that is, don't teach it to them, learn it with them, learn the Gemara with the guys. So I went in and I did exactly that. I learned it with them. I didn't, you know, speak at them, teach to like teach to them. I learned it with them. Um, and after that, I was totally hooked. Uh, I was totally hooked on on teaching, specifically teaching Torah, um, being able to give that over and that experience. And while I would not really get back into teaching for maybe another eight years or so, um, that that first that first moment, that first class that I learned with other people, being able to learn Torah with them, just totally hooked me. Um, so, so I would come back to Toronto. I would finish two more years in art school, um, learning animation. And then I was not yet married. Um, I was still, I was looking, I was dating, and I was looking to get married. And as everything else, God was holding off for the right moment. And then. You know, the summer after I finished college, um, I met my wife, Dory, um, and we got married that January. And really meeting her would get me, would lead me to where I am today, very much so. Um, Her family, her uncle is Rabbi Avram Rothman. He is the, he is the rub of the Thornhill Community Shul, which is affiliated with Asia Torah in Thornhill. Um, and his and his his and her parents um, her parents are are Bali Chuva and been very involved with Asia Torah, and so for many years they've always had growing up. Uh, my wife Dory tells me growing up there's always been people around the table who are new to to Yiddishkeit and new to Torah, and her parents, her family, she's watched this. They introduce people to Torah and bring them into to rediscover their Yiddishkeit and rediscover Torah and Hashem. And so that was new to me coming from a non-Kirov background. You know, yeah, we have guests over at home for, for Shabbos, you know, um, but, but it's like a classic Shabbos meal and it takes like, I don't know, an hour, you know, an hour for, for Shabbos lunch or something. Meanwhile, going over to, to Dory's family's home, there's, three-hour meals and discussions and and all sorts of things come up um and and i would we would start she was very adamant that we have people at our at our meet at our house 
or you know as many meals as possible to share with them what we have, um, what we're fortunate to have, and to show them and get them closer to Torah and Hashem. So um, I think before the pandemic, before the pandemic happened when everybody had to stay away from each other, maybe I can I can count on one hand how many times we had meals just just ourselves, just my wife and I. Um, because we always have people at our house um, to, to, you know, share in, 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 uh, in our home and in what we have. So with all those people now around, now around all these opportunities to do Kirov and to, to teach people, I started interacting with people and talking and, and meeting more people and um, who who have this desire to learn and, and I have those skills, I have those abilities and that knowledge I can give over to them. And I'd start, start learning with people um, and teaching them. And eventually we would, um, I was not at Asian Torah at the time, but eventually we would switch over, I'd switch over to Asian Torah, the Thornhill Community Shul and her uncle Rabbi Rothman um, gave me, an incredible opportunity to, to help out there and to give back to the community and to teach and to be involved with so many people and to share Torah with so many people. Um, started teaching classes there. I guess all, you know, all this informally. I started teaching classes on Alakha, on Gemara, um, on different uh, uh, you know, Jewish philosophy. Um, I'd be giving, I'd have small a small group of people coming to the house to learn. Um, and really that, you know, launched me into, into teaching informally. Um, about how about two years after joining the shul there, um, getting involved with the Isha Torah, one of the members in the, in the shul approached me. They said, you know, we have, um, we have all these classes, all these shurim that go on after Davin. It's, it's a wonderful program they have there at the, the Thornhill Community Shul where everybody comes to davening and then right after davening, instead of running off to Kiddush, everyone basically goes to learn Torah for about, you know, uh, 45 minutes or so. And they have all different types of classes, all different types of shirim being taught over by all different types of people. Um, and so different levels of learning is go- are, are going on at the same time and everybody's involved. So this one parent comes over to me and says, uh, you know, they've, uh, all the adults have programs to go to, but all the kids just kind of hang around. So maybe we could, do you think we can come up with some sort of program for the kids, like some sort of learning group for the kids? So we created something called, we called the Chabura, and that was after davening. And we get together with kids between the ages of uh, 11 and 14. And we would have a kiddush, and I'd discuss something on the parsha. Or really, my focus was to to kind of touch on some real, real basics in terms of Torah and Judaism that maybe are not discussed in school. You know, there's there's so much kids have to learn, um, and there's so much Torah so vast. And based on my own personal experience. When I went to Yeshiva, my mind was open to all the things that I just didn't receive, you know, seemingly little things about things like thinking about God and, and what does it mean that he's, he's a chad, that he's one, and, this, you know, the source of all existence. These, these things were not given over because 
there's only so much time and you got to focus on Chumash and Mishnayas and learning these skills in terms of reading and, and translating. And so I would, I would, you know, talk over with them, give them over ideas and, and have very brief discussions all while having, you know, kiddush and snacks and stuff like that. Um, and I'd average about 12 kids every single week. And it lasted for almost three years until we moved, basically. So we even, we even developed a secondary program for once they phase out and they become like a team because teens don't want to hang out with, with anybody who's not a teen. So after we, we created this secondary group for those kids who are transitioning out, um, led by um, Roy Josh Stein, um, tremendous. And, um, and uh, that really was, had so much exposure in terms of teaching through Asia Torah there um, to young, young and old. And then um, uh, in the meantime, I was still selling tiles, working at Olympia Tile. Um, I was on the road doing sales on the road and I was getting all sorts of different skills as well there in terms of business and um, just interacting with people, being able to create relationships with people and, and interacting with all different types of people. As I look back, as my wife and I look back, we can see, we really can see God just, it's not even guiding, it's more like shoving us in a, <laughs> in a specific direction, you know, uh, like I had thought about, I had thought about going into learning when I was back in yeshiva. I was in yeshiva for three years and I thought about going to base medrash and learning. My father even, my parents are, you know, so supportive and they even offered at one point it's like my father said if if this is something you want to do then you make, need to make that decision we'll be behind you but i i always didn't want to take that route um i felt maybe it was like the easy way out and i i wanted to to do things kind of in the way that everybody else was doing things and i, I want to try to get a degree and and you know go into business all while i had this passion to 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 teach um, and everything that I would do would just, you know, I, I want to uh, do work. I want to do animation or I want to do cell pile or whatever. That's fine. But God keeps shoving me back into teaching and <laughs> <laughs> teaching Torah and like spreading Torah. And like, I can't get away from it. Um, I can't get away from it. So it's very obvious. <laughs> you know, he has given me so many opportunities to build the skills necessary to do it. Right. So. So are you, um, do you go by Rabbi Meisels over? Yes. Yeah. So we go by Rabbi Meisels. Yeah. Okay. So. uh, Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I'm I'm just curious if there are skills in particular that you found based on your past experience that have really helped you as an educator. Everything. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's, that's kind of what I was taking out of that first answer was, is it's just all leading up. I mean, it's, I also, maybe from the outside, I mean, it's just clearly, um, you know, you've been uh, put on this path. So it's uh, even, uh, even in terms of art, um, you know, as a hobby, I I paint um, and I do art. It's it's another passion of mine and um, things you learn in art school about you know, one of the things that art school did more than anything else was change the way I was able to perceive the world visually. So 
um, just in terms of how you see as an artist, really in terms of contrast, everything's about contrast. And we only, we can only see things because of contrast and color and light. Um, and being able to contrast things in that way has allowed me to grow in my learning and, and look for different ways to, to see things in different perspectives in order to, you know, just not just give things over visually, but also, um, you know, uh, teaching, giving over concepts. You know, I'll, I teach in the high school here. Um, so essentially what happened, I'll just finish the story very quickly. What happened is my wife, Dory was working at, um, T. Ferris, Basiakov in Toronto, helping with the school productions there. And she was, um, you know, Kyle just wasn't making it in Toronto. Price of, of cost of living was really rising. Um, it was not easy. And we saw a lot of people moving to the States. And thank God we had that ability because my wife is American. So we could take that path. It would be much easier for us where it was more difficult for others. And we have very good friends in Pittsburgh who we had visited every year for eight years or so. So we're familiar with the community. And my wife was speaking to her friend here in Pittsburgh and said, you know, we're looking. And they said, oh, well, the school's actually looking here for somebody to run their production and do student activities. So we just came down to interview and, um, you know, we met with, with uh, Rabbi Weinberg and uh, Mr. Kraut here who run Hill Academy. And, um, you know, they said, you know, we have jobs for you. We'd love for you to come down here and, you know, took a bit and it took a few years till we actually get down, got down here. Um, um, but, but now that we're down here, sorry. Yeah. You're loving it. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought now. <laughs> I said, now that you're down here, you're loving oh. it. Oh yeah. 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 Loving it. Yeah. So now that we're down here, you know, we made it down here through the, the pandemic, which was like, you know, Moving to a different country during a pandemic was was insane, um, but <laughs> to say the least, we made it down here, and now I I get to do marketing for the school and be creative in terms of creating uh, marketing materials and videos and taking pictures, and at the same time I get to teach Torah in the high school and such an impact um, helping kids get close to to Hashem and and, and Torah. Uh, it's like a dream come true. Although I, I have this feeling that, that again, I'll just be shoved out of the marketing aspect and only into the teaching at some point. And it's just not, you know, as much as I want that. Maybe well, oh, but I was saying. So maybe down the line, you'll fuse that with teaching some kind of art class with Tanakh or something. I don't know. <laughs> so we actually, we did a program. I did a program last year. I worked with, um, so I teach in the, in the, in the high school, but but I'm always looking for ways to to use my creativity to teach so and and help out anywhere in the school. You know, anybody needs help with something. I have all these different skills from my background that it's just it comes up. So last year in the third grade, we did a program where I created us. Um, I created um, basic character models, very, very basic characters that I taught the kids in third grade how to draw. They're very simple, almost like a stick stick figure style. But but I created them with a style and a look and um, I created story points um, parallel, like story points of the different 
different parts of, of Chumash that they were learning. Like I made story beats out of those different parshios. And we created a program where they drew a picture for each story beat. And then I put it together as a comic. So they took their, you know, they were learning about, um, about um, oh, Yitzchak being born, Avraham and Sarah having a child when they're old. So I took, you know, we took five or six, we made five or six points out of that story in the, in the Chumash. And I described the scene. And then the kids on their street time, when they had kind of downtime in class, would draw pictures using the characters that I designed and taught them how to draw. And then I put them together and featured it in our, in our weekly um, newsletter that the school has. And it was just a great way for kids to really bring their learning to life and really bring like an enjoyment out of it. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's genius. And, and uh, you know, we had uh, Rabbi Israel Smith on, on the, the, and he actually mentioned you. I was, but I, had yeah. only, I wasn't, I wasn't able to be on that one. So I actually only listened to it after we had already decided that we were going to be uh, doing this. And I was like, Oh my yeah. God, I can't believe he's like mentioning Donnie. Um, so yeah. he, he mentioned your davening challenge. And yes. I was like blown away by that one too. Um, maybe we could touch on that one a bit later, but um, sure. are, are there any educators that have inspired you or that you particularly admire? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I came up with a list here. <laughs> there's just, there's just so many, there's just so many people. Um, I had to go with the list. Um, there's a few, you know, there's, there's, there's a few who are, let's say, informal educators and in uh, briefly, and then talk about the main educators that had such an impact on my life. Um, uh, my Zadie should be well, um, was always active. Meyer Feldman, always active in giving Shurim in the community, speaking, um, you know, as uh, kind of president of the Shuli head by the cottage or bungalow, depending on where, you know, where you live, that is, um, growing up and, uh, really had a, a focus and put a focus and emphasis and a drive on, on Torah, um, and teaching Torah and giving over Torah. Yeah. And I can, I can vouch for that because, uh, of the, all the fond memories I have in, in Thornhill. Yeah. Even as a, he was a candy man at Shul, you know, yeah. like there was, you know, running around, I remember running around by it at Shul. There's a lot of candy, man. You just go over, you say good Chavez and he gives you a candy. My grandfather always needed to hear what the, what the week that week's partial was before you get a candy. You know, it uh-huh. wasn't, it was never uh-huh. just, it's never just, you get a candy. It's just, there had to be some sort of educational um, aspect in terms of Torah. Um, and, and, you know, seeing him on Friday nights, learning at the table much like much like seeing my own father sitting and learning at the table um learning when he could your father you know you know i, I you know we'd, we'd get together when we were younger on shabbos afternoons and your father would you know go off to to learn you know all the people that were in our lives had a focus on learning and giving over torah that that had a tremendous impact in my life so those are really informal um well, one more informal was my my uncle Mosh um, Mosh Green. Uh, yeah. He had he lived in Hamilton, so we used to go visit them when they lived in Hamilton. Uh, you know, I loved going for Shabbos as a kid to go visit in Hamilton, the smaller community coming from Toronto. It was special. And during Priest of Torah Torah reading, 
he he would take all the kids out from the main shul and they go over to the small chapel next door and he would teach them shnayas. Now he was not a teacher or anything like that, but he saw value that kids, you know, they can't sit in, they can't sit the whole davening. Instead of them having running around, he taught over Mishnayas. And we said everyone would get like a whole chocolate bar, but but he would he would teach over. Like that was that was something that was valued and that was something that was valued that was all around me. Yeah. Um so now in terms of formal teachers, the first really the first teacher that had such an impact on me was uh, Mr. Chaim Klein, uh, who was my eleventh and twelfth grade um history teacher. He was the first person to get me to open my mind and start thinking and not just doing things, not just doing things by rope, but actually start thinking about the things I was doing. Um, I was always a very conscious person. Um, I, I like I, from a very young age, I was very conscious of myself and of others, like a very high awareness, but I was not able to harness it. And the first time I was able to really start harnessing that was, was was in his class and he taught me to to not just you know not just repeat something but or to just believe in something but to actually think about it and see if it makes sense and um kind of question things um which which was the starting point that opened my mind to really to torah i would say even though i i even though i wouldn't channel it towards torah at the time um that was definitely he was definitely the first person to, to have that impact on me. Um, the other, the other huge people who had impact in my life um, in terms of teaching educators was Rosh Hashiva of my Shiva Aaron Katz, um, who who showed me that that there's no real separation between my my Judaism and the rest of my life. You know, growing up, I tend to think. Uh, there's you know there's the Jewish side of my life and then there's there's everything else, um, you know that's just like a part of my life. Um, he he showed and instilled to me that everything, everything has to do with God. Every action that I do um, has meaning and purpose and and has to do with uh, has to do with with God and my service towards him. Um, Biggest the person with the biggest impact on my life would have to be my Rebbe of Sheffield Weinberg, um, um, who I did, you know, I would say I did, um, we call Shimush Talmidi Chachamim, like, you know, observing and watching and listening to everything that he did in order to, to be able to get as much, much from him as possible. You know, there's there's only so much, so many books. You know, I think, I think they call Jews like people the book, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's what they call us. Um, you walk into a basement address, sure, there's books everywhere, tons and tons of books. Um, there's only so much you can learn from a book. There are certain things, certain nuances in terms of Torah that you can't get, you can't get out of a book. The Torah tells us about Yehoshua. Yehoshua was Moshe's Talmud, and he would sit outside his tent, outside of Moshe's tent. He would watch everything that Moshe did. While everyone else was being taught by him and just repeating over, there were the small nuances about how Moshe walked, how he talked, how he blew his nose, how he, you know, combed his hair. Like, like 
if if Torah is all encompassing, which it is because it's the, the blueprint and the design behind behind everything, um, then everything must be Torah. And you can't. There's only so much you can get out of a book. You need to see living, breathing uh, Torah. Um, and I'll just tell a brief brief story that I I tell a lot of my students, which is kind of personally embarrassing, but but it's it's really it's really important. It really opened my really what started to to lead me to say to to make um, Rav Shefta Weinberg as my Rebbe. That is my first my first simplest Torah in Eretz Yisrael. Um, you, you get like get introduced to this two day simchas Torah really because. Well, everyone else in Israel's doing Shemini Tzer Simchas Torah, you know, together on the first day. So you got to dance with all your band in the Torah on the first day. Then you get a second day to do it because you're you're not from Israel and you got to keep two days. And so in Yeshiva, we did basically doing two days of Simchas Torah. So the first day is, you know, you're kind of part of the Yeshiva as a whole and you're really with the Rebbeim. The Rebbeim are, are really leading the show. But the second day when it's just you, you know, the guys now are leading the show in terms of dancing and then all, all the other stuff growing up you know whether it's whether it was actually actually what was going on or just in what i internalized from from what i had seen there's sort of like a frivolity around some like joking and games fun and games kind of a thing going on and especially during you know especially during you know when i would think of the highlight as a kid of some I think of the point during Kakafos where one guy gets up, they throw a talus over him, and the other guy goes under, and he axes his arms, and he's doing all sorts of shtick. That was like the highlight of, you know, Silicon Star. Mipia. Uh, what? It's yeah, that's me- right. Mipia. Exactly. And all sorts of shtick was going on. Um, it was good fun. Being somewhat of a, you know, comedic guy, I, I was Zoha. I narrated to be the arms, you know, under the talus with one of my friends so i so i'm up there and like you know top of the world like top of my game i'm like blowing his nose wiping the sweats putting my fingers in his mouth you know like 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 the place is rolling so it's hilarious place is rolling and when we finish i like come off the chair i'm under the tallest everybody's like laughing patting me on the back like that and that's like you're so great like top of the world flying high i was like wow I just accomplished Simchas Torah, you know? <laughs> I sit down feeling so good about myself. And then one of my Rebbeim was not yet, I did not yet merit to learn under him at that point, because it was for so my first year. Um, Rabbi Gittleman, he comes over, and I'm like all smiles, and he says to me, says to me, that's how you act in front of the Torah? And like, like my heart like sank into my gut. Wow. Like it was just such an just such a eye opening. He just like my whole world flipped upside down. Hold but, on, we got that it reminds me of the story with uh with David Amela, right? Where he's dancing, right. where he's dancing in front of the R on no? Yes, yes, exactly. All right, but, sorry, so sorry. But yeah. what is but but how would David Amela dance, right? So well, I'll get to that in a second. Actually, I'll I'll just we'll come back to that in a second. But but it made me think. Like I, I never thought for a second that where I was standing when I was doing these things, standing from the Torah. Like is this is this 
what I want to say about myself in terms of how I relate to Tara, that it's just fun and games. Fun and games. I never, it was just such an earth shattering moment in, in the most embarrassing way, but in the most profound and important way. Um, now, um, I was not so honest with myself as I am now. And so I was looking for all sorts of reasons as to why maybe I, you know, what I was doing wasn't so bad. So I recall the day before, this was started the day before that, that my Rebbe, Shaq the Weinberg was uh, doing something similar. So I was like troubled. How come he, how can he do it? And I can't, is it because he's a rabbi? I'm not like, so therefore like I can be yelled at or something, you know? So I went to Rabbi Katz and I kind of brought this up and I, I spoke to him and I was telling him kind of what I was feeling. And he said to me, he said, he said to me what would start me on the path to, to make, to, to having Rav Sheftel be my Rebbe. And that is, he said to me, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know the things that he, Rav Sheftel, was doing at the time. But there's one thing that he does know, and he, had, he, he he's known Sheffield like his whole life. And he said, "There's one thing I do know: everything he does, everything he does is lishem shemayim." And that that like blew my mind, and I was like, "There's no way, there's n- there's no way everything that he does could be lishem shemayim." I would then spend the next almost three years plus till today watching him. Everything that he does, every opportunity I could to come to see that that is absolutely true. Um, that everything, everything that he does, and every move he makes, and words that come out of his mouth, are calculated all to be as best possible. Hashem Shemayim for the for the service of Hashem, um, and that that changed my entire world. That that such a thing could be possible. Um, really, just open my eyes. Um, now you know. So, so when we think of things like David and Alf dancing in front of the Aaron, you know, and his wife, um, you know, um, shaming him for for dancing. So for dancing in front of the Aaron, um, she was punished. Um, she was punished because David and was right because because there's no self honor when it comes to the Torah. It's, it has to all be for the Torah. But at the same time, what type of dancing was David and Alf doing, right? I would imagine that it, that it was it was one of tremendous, um, out of a tremendous love and respect for the Torah, and not out of not out of using the opportunity of the Torah being there to grandize himself, like like I had done, you know, under the talus on that chair. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that. Um, uh, Rosheftel has had a tremendous impact on, on me personally um, in my life. I have a very strong Kesha with him. Um, he has a wonderful relationship with him. He has such a wonderful relationship with my wife and my kids. Um, he, we were able to have him over for a Shabbos. He stayed at our house maybe about four or five years ago in, back in Thornhill um, for a Shabbos. I was lucky to have him for a Shabbos. And, you know, like an hour or two before Shabbos, he, uh, he tells to me, my wife, he says, you know, go get ready for Shabbos. I'll kind of look after the kids. Okay. I can argue. So I kind of peek in a little bit and he's, I see him downstairs with the kids playing the floor is lava with the kids. I'm like, 
are having a blast. It's like, you know, nothing is beneath him, so to speak, um, because everything is, is again, in a pursuit of um, or in service of a sham and teaching others. Just, just, I, I can't even imagine the impact that has on my kids to see somebody who I revere so much. They know I revere so much um, for who he is and for, uh, for who he is in terms of the Talmud Torah and for also for him to be able to relate to them and, and, and play with them. What kind of an impact that, that has on them? What a story. I think that's such an, a big lesson and an inspiration for all of us and our listeners. And thank you for sharing that. Since you mentioned this a little bit already, how do you talk about God with your students? Well, it depends on the age group, younger kids. You know, we were talking about the creator and the source of all existence. <laughs> um, that can go over some kids' heads, you know, like thinking about a being that is infinite can make your head spin even if you're older. So, you know, all on different levels. But one thing, the one thing that I, I like to point out and I really try to make as clear as possible when talking about talking about God to, to anybody is how much, first of all, how, how he, he is anything that's going to have meaning, anything that is going to have meaning in our lives is going to have to do with him. And secondly, how much he cares about us, how deeply he cares about us. My grandfather, my lady, he taught my, my oldest, San Yosef, that you put the, you're putting on your shoes, put the right shoe on first. What does the Torah care about what shoe you put on first, right? Or like what order you clip your fingernails in. It's like, it seems so, seems so crazy. And so like, I don't know, it's first of all, it seems so crazy. And secondly, maybe it's like very controlling. God is so controlling, right? The truth is, this is what I, this is, this is really how I, how I like to speak about Hashem. I like to speak about Hashem is that Hashem is the the creator and master of everything. There are crazy things going on in the universe, black holes and uh, supernovas and quasars and like all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff. Um, you think he has so much more to do, like, you know, which shoe I put on first, which seems so insignificant. But, but the fact that he does care about that, that the Torah does does tell us which to put on first just shows how much he cares about us. He's, 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 he cares and wants to know and see every little thing that we're doing. Because if you don't care about something, then you're really not paying attention to it. But the more you pay attention to something shows how much more you care about it. Um, my Rebbe says about, about Rosh Hashanah, we, we get really caught up in, um, get really caught up in kind of the awe of the day and the kind of doom and gloom, the day of judgment. But the truth is to be judged means that he is looking at you and he would only be looking at you if he cared to look at you because you are important to him. And so while there's that kind of heaviness of the day, there's also this tremendous sense of love on Rosh Hashanah and sense of importance on how much we matter because do. We matter tremendously to Hashem. He cares about us so much. Yeah. Um, I read, um, once learned, Masiva Shalom writes that on uh, by Harsinai, 
all the Jewish people are are looking. The Torah says that uh, right after the list of the Sarasadibros, it says that the Jewish people saw the 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 sights and the saw the the sounds and heard the sights and and all the thunder and the smoke and the fire and everything that was going on, and they became very afraid. You see, he says he says this is a tremendous lesson. Um, why did they become afraid? They were looking at all the peripherals. They were looking at the thunder, the smoke, the, the, the lightning, the fire, the sounds. They were looking at all the peripherals, and, it, and it, uh, it scared them. But instead of looking at the peripherals, they should have been paying attention to what was really going on. And that was God was standing right in front of them. God was appearing to them, and they were having this intensely intimate moment with God. But instead of focusing on, on that, we kind of focus on all the, the doom and gloom and the heavy responsibilities. If we would just shift our focus and realize what's actually going on and that we have this incredible opportunity to be loved by and, and chosen and have an intimate relationship with Hashem because he wants that, then that can change our whole focus on, on how we relate to him. Wow. Yeah. So education or chenoch, in Hebrew, can be an amorphous term. How do you define education? Right. Um, I would say education is really, uh, or chinuch, is really about um, training. You know, it's not so much about education. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's not education like we think where you sit a kid down at a, at a desk and he opens a textbook or you read or teach out of a textbook, it's more like a trade school where you are apprenticeship. Chinuch needs to be an apprenticeship. Think about Chanukas Mishkan or the Chanukas Abayas, the inauguration of the, the Mishkan or the Beis Migdash. The things that were involved in that was, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu in the Mish, terms of Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu for those days would bring all the, the korbanos, all the offerings. And every single day was the offerings, the same offerings being brought. And if you think about that, you have Aaron and his sons who are going to be doing the service. They're standing there. You have everybody else watching as Moshe, who knows everything about what needs to be done, doesn't just tell them and makes them go do it. He goes through the motions himself. They're almost like apprentice. They're like an apprenticeship. They're watching as he does it. Because Chinuch can't just be about giving over information it has to be shown it has to be you have to show and live the things that you're teaching otherwise um it, it won't get through and and you know the honest truth of it is that kids um kids see right through somebody who's disingenuine you know um the idea of shimush which I learned about from my Rebbe, um, being there and, and, and witnessing and watching a Talmud Chacham do um, is, is invaluable. And it's, unfortunately, it's really something that's lost to North American Jewry. It's not something, the idea of having one Rebbe or somebody you kind of apprentice by is, is something that is, it's an aspect of Limanat Torah that's, that's lost. Um, so when, when, when you extend your classroom beyond the walls of your classroom and you, you 
you know, I can just learn Chumash or Gemara with, with the students, with the kids in my, in my class, my shir, just in the classroom. And then when I leave, I could be like, okay, nine to five, I kind of check out. Like, you know, you want to talk to me about this further? Talk about it tomorrow in class. Or when I leave the classroom, the discussion continues. You know, we're walking down the hallway or up the stairwell. You know, we're engaging in a mitzvah of you know, learning Torah and thinking about Torah as we go. Um, and, and, you know, beyond the hallways to waiting outside when they're picked up and engaging them, inviting them over for, a, for an Oneg Shabbos or, or a meal on Shabbos so that they can see beyond just what you're learning out of the book. They can see out of a text. They can witness it and see all the nuances and, and see how it's supposed to be now, uh, you know, put into practice. Wow. Yeah, it's a, a great answer. What's the biggest challenge that you faced as an educator? The very good question. Um, and I actually, um, every once, in, you know, once in a while, I talk about it with, um, with Rabbi Kanowski. Um, and I think what it comes down to is um, my own expectations versus real expectations. Um, you know, I sort of, it's important to have, I feel that it's, and what I've been taught is it's important to have expectations of, of your students. Because um, if, you, if you don't have any expectations and you, could, and you really couldn't care less about what they're doing, then you're just showing that you just really couldn't care less about them. Um, so having expectations shows that you you have an invested care uh, in them, but but at the same time you have to be very aware and not overcritical. Very very careful to not be overcritical or judging, because you have to understand that they're teenagers, right? Not only are they teenagers, they're teenagers growing up in in America in twenty first century with everything that's going on. Um, and very easily, very easily, we can kind of project ourselves onto our students. Like when we see them doing very well and they, they're getting it and they're really engaging them, you can very easily project yourself onto them. And then when they, they do something that you would, you would not expect yourself to do, you can find yourself becoming frustrated. Like, why would they go do that? Why would they act that way? Um, but you have to remember that who they are and where they're coming from um, and have, a you know, what I'll call real expectations. Um, so those things don't get confused. Um, you know, the, the Rambam, um, the Rambam has a whole, Rambam famously has his Yud Gimel, his, his 13 principles upon which, say, you know, being a Jewish person is founded upon. And really what he writes is that um, if you don't subscribe to one of these 13 principles, then you, you can't, you know, you're really unsubscribing from the Jewish people. And famously, the Ravid argues with him on a lot of them. And um, I, I learned this with my Rebbe, and he, he, he beautifully said, what is the, like, what's the conflict between the Rambam and the Ravid? Because, because they both agree on, on these things. Right? These are principles within the Torah that they, they both agree on. So, so what's the argument all about? And he says that the, the argument's like this. The Rambam was a super freaky genius. And uh, like many 
like many other geniuses, um, they, ex they can expect that everybody kind of acts like they do. Um, it's, it's very common that people, um, people expect others to kind of act in the same way that they do. And so the Rambam, basically, he had these 13 principles because in his mind, if somebody is, if somebody doesn't subscribe to these things, his thought process will eventually stray him away from Torah and from God. The Ravid comes along and says, no, people don't think like you do. <laughs> Most people don't spend a lot of time thinking. So just because just because they attribute maybe a physical characteristic in their mind to God, which, which is not true, but just because they do, because the Torah says, the, you know, the Yad Hashem, the hand of God, doesn't mean they're going to go down the thought process that will lead them to think that, you know, God is finite and, and therefore he, he can't be the master of everything. Um, and so this idea of, of expectations, um, what what we really to to kind of keep in mind and keep in check, um, you know, having having expectations, but at the same time making sure they're realistic and that they're not, they don't put um, unnecessary pressure on the students, which can really turn turn them off. And how do you stay motivated with, with all that? Yeah, so so it's it's two things. One is is personal reflection, remembering. And keeping in mind that I I was I was once you know I didn't have all all their challenges and everyone's different, but I definitely came from a place like a lot of the people that I teach, um, not necessarily having the biggest interest in 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 um, wanting to learn, uh, having you know my priorities on different things, and remembering that that I came from a place like that, and it's little steps that can build and bring me closer and also having a really good support network. Um, like I mentioned, Rabbi, Rabbi Kanowski, um, and I speak very frequently and eventually when things will come up and frustrations will come up, which, you know, a lot of them have to do with, with having, you know, unrealistic expectations of, of other people. Um, um, almost everything kind of comes down to that. Um, um, you know, to be able to talk it out and get that voice of reason and sometimes even just the person to listen while you while you're able to express the things you're feeling and the thoughts you have so you can then kind of look at them straight and, and be able to refocus and say, you know, I see what was getting me upset and what was frustrating me and now I can I can refocus. A a good support network of of real, real friends, ones that really connect to on, on a deep level through Torah and, and personal interests is, is very important. Yeah, no, it's, and I agree with, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, in, in a lot of places we don't have that. So, yeah. Um, I'm just curious, you, you have any thoughts about how, how we might, uh, establish those, like later in life, you know, like I understand if somebody grows up like in a community, maybe some of the things you're, you're trying to instill with either your kids or your students or both. Um, what about people that are our age, you know, that, that never had that, how can they get that? You mean like, um, that support network? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, like Rebeam, 
you know, obviously, you know, you can meet people, establish relationships, but to have that really, like you said, the, the, the Yeah. It's, um, it's not impossible. You know, my, speaking of, uh, Rabbi Kanowski, so we were in Yeshiva together. Um, I'm one year ahead of him. So my second year in Yeshiva was his first year and his father, Sir Izzy Kanowski, he came to visit him while he was in Yeshiva. He came for two weeks and he's like, the guy who never went to Yeshiva. Uh, when he was younger, um, you know, like a Duffy Omi, Balabas kind of guy, um, you know, go to the rough shear and shul, you know, for an, for an hour every day has a, you know, understands the value of Torah, but, but he, he can't, but he never was able to really invest in it. He took two weeks in that year and he came and he sat in the base of Medrash like any other guy in the yeshiva. And he like, he made those two weeks his year in Israel that he never got. Right. Um, and I'm sure that took sacrifice. I'm sure that took sacrifice to be able to do that. First of all, financially, um, to take the time away from work, but also I'm sure there's a lot of sacrifice. You know, it's not easy to do that. If you've never done that before to sit all day and learning and yeah, it might not be the amount of time, you know, that that maybe other people will have, um, you know, maybe you could say I had a lot of time. I had like two and a half, almost three years where I was able to do that with my Rebbe versus my Rebbe had you know, many, many, many years and more, more time than I did with his Rebbe. But I like to analogize it as well with learning to like a cup, right? I think about Hillel Hazakim, um, famous story of Hillel, he's a wood chopper and portioned half his money so he can go learn the base of Medrash, right? Many of the Tanai, many of the people in the Mishnah and the Gemara had jobs and they worked. Um, how did they grow and become the, the great people that they were? How did they have that time? Now, things were much simpler back then, so there was more time to dedicate to it. But at the same time, he, he did work. And I, I think you can you can think about it like a cup, right? If you have a if you have a cup with a lot of holes in it, when you pour the water in, that water is going to leak out. Um, you can pour as much water in there as you can, but eventually you'll only really end up with so much water depending on where the, the lowest hole in that cup is. But if you are a cup with no holes in it, if, you, if, you, if there's a cup with no holes in it, if you're pouring a little bit of water into it at a time, no matter how much water you're going to pour into it, it might even be a little bit, but it's going to stay there. If you do it a little bit over time, eventually you'll get a full cup that won't lose anything. I think there needs to be a, a tremendous focus on personal growth. If I'm dedicated to to self to to personally grow and develop myself, um, make myself make myself a you know into a sort of like a vessel for these things. If I, if I really want these things, I really want to be able to grow like that and accomplish these things. As long as we work on ourselves to be to be that vessel to receive these things, we don't need a lot of it in order for it to have an impact because we'll be able to hold on, retain, and really make good use out of even the little bits that we get. So you got any tips for, for doing cheshbon and nefesh? Yeah. <laughs> um, you need re- real self-honesty. You have to be tremendously honest with yourself which is, can be the most frightening thing. You got to set, set aside time for it. 
Um, you, you kind of just write it out however it comes out. Yeah. I mean, things like taking five minutes some point before Rosh Hashanah and thinking about two or three areas that you can work on and writing it on a piece of paper, you know, getting it out of your head and actually solidifying it so that it's, it's out there. It, you know, that the idea of being, we're still self-conscious, you know, you, you ask a kid to read, uh, you know, read out loud for the class. He doesn't want to read out loud. So why not? You're self-conscious, right? But that's the name of the game, being conscious of yourself. Right. Um, and anything, you know, any sort of change is always going to come with discomfort. Um, growth comes with a bit of growing pains and discomfort and have to have like, have, to have courage for that. Um, have to be, have to have courage to, to do that, but you have to set aside the time and, and get it down, write it down on paper uh, because it becomes real, becomes much more real and it's something you can come face to face with. So what advice would you give to new educators who are just beginning their journey? I definitely say uh, like that first piece of advice that I got, learn, learn with your students. Don't just, don't just teach them. Um, obviously there are certain things that need to, you know, need to teach That's the name of the game, but, but to learn it with them, to go through it with them, to, to view it as personal growth. It's like it's my like, own. Yeah. Like a two way street, you know, kind of give and take. Exactly. First of all, you're going to learn the most from your students. The, the, I, I learned the most and the most, the most, let's say the biggest avenue for personal growth comes from the things I learned from my students from the people I teach. And so already because you're sitting face to face and you're about to teach somebody, it's already an opportunity for tremendous growth. Secondly, if you look at what you're learning with them as an opportunity for you to learn it as well, and that's a bonus. Like, you know, it's not just a job. It's not just, you're not just teaching something. You actually get to invest in yourself as well. And they're going to be so much more receptive to, to what you have to say if you learn it with them. If you're not just spoon feeding it. Um, when they come to it on their own, when you help them to come to it on their own and you get them to invest in it, they're going to be hooked more. It's going to mean more and resonate and stay with them longer. Um, and so learning it with them and, and invest, you know, allowing for that investment in them and in yourself at the same time is, um, will just make, makes all the difference. Right. And so I know this ties in with that, but, but how can we help students to build a strong Torah foundation? Yeah. Um, they have to care about it. We have to, we have to show them how important it is to them and how much meaning it brings to their lives. Um, nobody invests in something they don't want. They don't care about. Um, what are your thoughts create- on, you know, instilling certain values by a certain age? You know, like we've had, some people um, say, you know, if, if you don't teach them certain things by the time they're five, you'll never get it back. And we've had other people say that's not true. You know, you can at any age, you can kind of reinvent yourself or whatever. So do you think it's, yeah. 
Did you see a difference with um, students you work with that come, let's say, from from like observant homes versus, you know, no, no Jewish background whatsoever? I, it's, it's not impossible. You know, for, for one thing, Rebbe Akiva teaches us that you're never too old to go sit in kindergarten and learn olive base. Right. Yeah. Um, nothing is impossible. It's just the later in life they are exposed to something, the the harder, the more of an uphill battle it's going to be. Um, you know, um, the age of bar and bar mitzvah is a halacha Moshe Misenai. It's it's something that God just told to Moshe, uh, to Moshe that twelve and thirteen is when now they're responsible for mitzvahs. However, the halacha is the Shulchan Aruch writes is that really a child is obligated in a mitzvah as soon as they're able to have an awareness about it and understanding to it. Mm. Because if, if you don't get them on it right away, how can you expect them to, to really be, be able to do it later? Um, I had right after we started this, this program at, back in, in Thornhill community school with learning with kids after davening, one of the parents came over and said, um, you know, my son, He's going to be bar mitzvah soon. He doesn't really, haven't really brought him to davening. He doesn't really come to davening. I've never really done that with him. What if we did like a Friday night thing where we have like a Friday night minion for kids? That's a really nice idea. But at the same time, I felt really, see the predicament that, that, that this father was in because there's no way his son is going to, to, to come and sit in davening. Once he turns 13, it's just, it's not a switch that happens. It has to be something that's, that's like kind of developed over time. Um, one of my other Bayam Rabbi, Ashley Glazerman, um, told me about, you know, we once spoke about Chinuch for a kid. When does, you know, when do you start bringing a kid to Shul? Well, like he's, like he said, and really how I was raised as well, um, you know, fortune, things like a family minion in Shul, um, if you can sit in shul for five minutes, then you're brought to shul for five minutes. If you can sit for 10, then you're brought for 10. Um, and as the child gets older, more they can do as, as they can do it. You want to try to get them onto it as soon as possible. Otherwise it's really becomes a huge uphill battle. Um, um, think of things like I make a big point at home on making brachos out loud and and making sure the kids are saying brachos so that when they get older, it, it comes easy to them to make a bracha. That, that unfortunately, I, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to, God forbid, like criticize my parents in any way, but it just wasn't necessarily something that I had so much, that I had done so much when I was younger. And so as I got older and dedicating myself more to Torah, it was a bit of a struggle to get that, to get, be accustomed to that and, and doing that, especially out loud. Just one more, just one more quick thought on it. I was asked to learn with somebody who wanted to convert to Judaism um, a number of years ago. And I ended up learning with this person and teaching him for, I think, almost two years. And this person was at our house meals on Shabbos and during the week and really became part of our family. Um, really took this, this, this guy in. He ended up converting. Um, I was there when he went to the, went, went to the mikvah and it was, 
time is a very special thing. Um, and then we really later kind of not so much long later found out that it was not really a sincere conversion um, and that he, he kind of disappeared and he was not. And something had happened. He basically, he had met somebody um, was not Jewish um, along the way, uh, like a little bit before, maybe six or seven months or something like that before the end of his conversion. And, um, and it drew him away. And I, and it was very painful. And I, I, you know, I think about like, how could you throw away? How could you throw away an opportunity like that? Like to be part of, of the Jewish people and what that means an opportunity it, it affords you to, to have such a deep relationship and connection to God. How can you throw that away? And, and it took me a little bit of time, but I, I came to the realization he was already older when he started learning um, about Judaism and about Torah. And he had a whole lifetime of training that was not Torah. And to make that switch, um, to make that switch to Torah not be dragged back into the stuff in his previous life, it's probably almost impossible um, because he did not have that upbringing that, that we are so fortunate, you know, that I personally so fortunate to have had. Right. Right. And that's kind of, that is kind of what I'm getting at. I mean, I seem to recall, um, I think it's in the Gemara. There's a story with uh, one of the rabbis who uh, like his, his mother was, I guess she had, when she was pregnant with him, she had like a craving to go to this, you know, house of vital worship or whatever. And she had some of the non-kosher meat mm-hmm. and it was transferred through when she nursed the baby. They attributed to that, that he later like went off the derech, I think. Right. Um, right. And, Similarly, there's also the story of Rabbi Yoshua. His his mother would take him in his carriage to the base of Medrash just to hear the sounds of learning, and he became right. Like, he became Rabbi Yoshua. Yoshua. Yeah. So, yeah. We we were just learning. I think uh, you know, just uh, with the Ben Sorer Mora, the the mm-hmm. wayward and rebellious son. That he, um, I think, as Rav Hirsch maybe said this. Um, that the whole thing comes to teach us that there's this like three month period around their bar mitzvah time, I guess, right? From bar mitzvah yeah. months after, whatever it is, um, where that's like a specific opportunity for like for Chinuch. And right. it's unfortunate because, you know, when you're saying you wonder how it can happen to people nowadays that they don't see it. I mean, it's because they, they don't see it. You know, they see other things when they look at, at what they're getting into. Um, and so many of us have like missed, you know, maybe we're not even aware of these like specific opportunities. We're kind of losing them along the way. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that answer. What does successful Jewish education in the future look like? I mean, I have to think you're you're not. Uh, there has to be a better way to do this, <laughs> based on what everything we've said tonight. You know, I mean, any any thoughts? Also, feel free to uh, touch on you know the stuff we've seen with COVID. I mean, learning through Zoom, learning through with masks. You know, is there artificial intelligence? Are we going to have these like holographic <laughs> rabbis or something? <laughs> We need to be looking at any avenue that can, you know, that can appeal to anybody. Um, everybody learns in a different way, and we need to to 
be open to, you know, to investigating and seeing if it's worthwhile to invest in and seeing if it, if it helps for other people. You know, I, I would say um, kind of just what we touched upon about, you know, having that strong foundation of growing up and training from a very young age, seeing everything around you, you know, almost so that when you grow up, it becomes by rote, you know, like that, that's kind of, kind of what you want. You, you want it so just so to come so natural. Um, but at the same time, at the same time, we also, we also know that doing, doing mitzvahs and learning Torah by rote is not what Hashem wants antithetical to, to Torah and really, you know, where everything begins, where everything began with Avram Avinu and coming to God through, through our mind and thinking and turning things over and coming to the truth in that way. I think the, I think the future, I think the future of, of Jewish education needs to be kind of what, what I was able to get. And that is not just being taught something, but giving over the tools for students to at a later time when they're not in the classroom anymore, when they're gone on and they're working, they're out on the workforce, wherever they are to then use those tools to continue to develop growth. Um, you know, it's to, to be able to, to have that drive to want to invest more in their growth towards Torah, towards, towards Hashem, um, instilling that, that love that's going to, to create a passion and desire and the tools necessary to continue that growth on their own um, at a later time to continue to develop. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so interesting, you know, because you're mentioning using these tools, you know, you've gone different directions and picked up different skills. And I feel like, the, you know, same with me, same with so many other people we know. Um, yeah. You want to say maybe we should have like an intentional community or something, go, you know, the forest upstate Pennsylvania or something, get a bunch of families together and, you know, but would that really be a good thing? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? It, yeah. Um, I think I was a little naive um, when I started teaching and thinking like, oh, the old way is no good and it wasn't very good. And uh, we have to, you know, be, we have to think about new ways of doing things. We need a combination of both. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, since making the transition, moving to Pittsburgh, to, to come in contact and meet all different types of educators newer, younger educators, as well as people who have been educating for a long time. And also thinking back to, to many of the teachers I had. And while sometimes we can very quickly place a blame on, well, the old way just wasn't working. Um, you know, first of all, things change and the world changes. And so obviously the way we teach needs to change as well. But we need to also look back and and gain from things you know, not throw out the old, but take the old and add new onto it, right? And see the things that were important and the the ways and the, the different strategies and ways in which the people taught that were important and will still continue to be important forever and find ways to introduce them in maybe a different a different perspective or in a different way. You know, not just to throw them out, so to speak. 
Wow. All right. Well, listen, Rabbi Meisel, it's such an honor to have you here. And I mean, I'm so happy that, you know, we got to spend this time like reconnecting, especially yeah, in this way. Right. And um, I'm kind of shocked that we're, we're, we're pretty, we ended up pretty close to each other, probably only like yes. three, three or four hours away from each other here. So yeah. uh, anything else you want to add before we go? It, yeah. If I can share one, one last idea, I had this idea on Sinas Chinam. You know, Tisha Bo would come every single year and, you know, Chavetz Chaim Foundation would put out a video and people will speak about this and that and people are motivated and moved and, and they're really great, wonderful things. Then year after year, we're another Tisha B'Av and another Tisha B'Av, right? It's like what I kind of like wanted to think, what is, I started thinking deeply about what is Sinos Chinam um, really and, you know, what destroys What's the commonality between the destruction of the first base of Migdash and the second base of Migdash when they seem to be destroyed, but destroyed by different things? Like, is it just that anything can destroy a base of Migdash? Or is there something specific that's like a common denominator that can destroy such a thing? And when I analyze the word sinas chinam, you know, we translate it as baseless hatred, but really the words mean, um, what I propose is words mean is, Sinas, the hatred of Chinam, that which is free or that which is indifferent to me, that I really don't care about. When there's something you don't care about, nobody likes things they don't care about because they don't care about them. The second something that you don't care about imposes itself on you in some way, it creates a hatred for that thing. It's it's when we don't have a an understanding about how important and how meaningful Torah and God is to us as Jewish people that we don't have a love for it, we become indifferent to it. And as soon as it becomes an obligation and a burden, we hate it. We we have we start to have a hatred for it. It's it's like Rabbi Smith, you know, Rabbi Smith always says, we have to build that that love to teach and and instill in the students the intense love that Hashem has for them, for us, and how we can teach how to reciprocate that we can have an intense uh, love and relationship with them. Go ahead. Beautiful. I love it. Um, all right. Well, Rabbi Donnie Meisels, thank you so much. I, I want to wish you uh, lots of bracha, hatzlacha, and everything you do over there. Thank you. Keep going. Keep, uh, you know, you should be, uh, have a lot of merit with uh, spreading Torah and, um, you know, teaching your students and, and raising your family. And to both of you as well, like keep up this podcast. It's really awesome. I've been listening to to a lot of them. It's really it's really amazing and we need it's something definitely needed out there. So yeah. thanks so much. We'll speak to you soon. Be well. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast.